Welcome to the Truth Across Time podcast. I'm your host, Sheila Farmer. As a lifelong student of history and English, I enjoy learning about the cultures, customs, and lifestyles in the Bible. Please join me as we explore the fascinating world of biblical events and the people involved. You'll see that the people of the Bible had concerns, triumphs and tragedies, joys and sorrows, successes and failures, not too different from our own. But because the Bible is God's Word, we can learn spiritual, eternal truths while looking at those people. Now let's go on this adventure and explore the truths that cross the limits of time and location. Welcome to the newest Truth Across Time podcast series, Visiting with the Prophets. Imagine living in a time and in a place where you were trying desperately to warn people of impending disaster something that you knew was soon to happen. Yet people ignored your warnings, and even many people despised you or ridiculed you for daring to speak those warnings. How long would it be before you gave up or got irritated with them and took the attitude of, well, let them find out for themselves, or even maybe secretly thought, they're going to get what they deserve? I suspect many of us might have one of those reactions after a while. But Jeremiah, God's prophet, preached and delivered prophecy and warnings to the people of Judah for at least 40 years. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet for more than one reason. One, he warns of a terrible and sad time, a time of judgment that was soon to come on the country of Judah. Two, He personally grieved and wept because of the great wickedness in the country and the lack of repentance toward God and what was going to happen because of it. And he wrote one of the saddest books in the Bible, Lamentations. When the United Nation of Israel split in two around 930 B.C., the northern kingdom retained the name of Israel, and it was made up of ten tribes. The southern kingdom took the name Judah, or Judea, and it was made up of only one tribe, the tribe of Judah. The twelfth tribe, Levi, was the priestly tribe, and they owned no land. However, they did have control of certain cities and towns. Because the northern kingdom of Israel fell into great wickedness, they allowed and even practiced idol worship and heathen religions, God allowed that northern kingdom to be overcome, invaded, and conquered by the Assyrian Empire. The bulk of the Assyrian Empire was located mostly in what is modern-day Iraq. Israel as a country ceased to exist in 722 B.C. The people were exiled. They were forced to move into other lands and eventually became absorbed into those other countries losing their identity. The southern kingdom of Judah didn't do much better. It too had a succession of very wicked kings, and that nation fell into heathen idol worship, profaning their religious heritage and actually profaning the temple itself in Jerusalem. Judah did have four good kings who tried to return the country back to the true God, But those times of repentance and revival didn't last. 
New kings came to the throne who turned Judah right back to profane idol worship. The southern kingdom lasted until 586 B.C., when the Babylonian Empire invaded Judah and destroyed many cities, including, at last, Jerusalem. Jeremiah was born and lived in Judah. He was born around 650 B.C., roughly 72 years after the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed. He was born in the village of Anathoth. I'll spell that. A-N-A-T-H-O-T-H. And this is located about two miles northeast of Jerusalem. Many Bible scholars believe that Jeremiah came from a family that was directly descended from Eli. If you remember, Eli was the man who had been high priest and served in the tabernacle in Shiloh many years earlier, before Israel even had a king, the man who basically raised the prophet Samuel. The last priest known for certain to have been a direct descendant of Eli was named Abiathar. Abiathar was dismissed by Solomon from his position as priest, basically for treason, but Solomon spared his life because he had served Solomon's father, King David, so faithfully. Solomon banished Abiathar to an estate in Anathoth, and he was told to stay there. Jeremiah is believed to have been descended from Abiathar, Jeremiah was certainly very familiar with the Hebrew writings that existed at, the, at his time, with religious traditions and ceremonies, and he was well-schooled in the worship of the true God. He grew up in a truly pious home. He had a solid knowledge of the prophecies of Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. It's sort of funny, but Jeremiah did not want to be a prophet. Like Moses had done centuries earlier, Jeremiah tried to talk God out of calling him. Chapter 1, verse 6, records what he said to God. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Jeremiah was evidently quite young when God called him. We don't know how young he was, but the Hebrew word that describes him is often translated as boy. He may have been a teenager, perhaps as young as 13, the age when Jewish boys can start accepting some religious responsibilities. But how did God answer Jeremiah? Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1 say this, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Our scripture text this week is Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, 
the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Just as Isaiah had done for the northern kingdom of Israel years before, Jeremiah presents a detailed case against Judah, clearly articulating their sins and corruption. He chastised them for abandoning God and putting their trust in something else. Things as useless as cracked pots, so the scripture says. Chapter 2 is a great summary of Judah's sins. Please read it for yourself and understand the gross wickedness of the people's transgressions against God. Verses 7 and 8 say this, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. But the people, the rulers, the false prophets, none of them listened. God will not pardon those who will not admit their guilt. So he tells his prophet in chapter 7, verse 16, Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Time is up for Judah. The end is almost upon them. Jeremiah felt hopeless. He was warning of a holocaust that was about to come, one that would be as horrible in its own way as the holocaust in World War II was, except, of course, this one didn't involve as many people. And there's nothing he can do about it. God had even told him not to pray for them anymore because they had not repented, they had not turned from their wickedness, and judgment had been pronounced. In chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, the Lord says this to Jeremiah, Behold, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. In chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, Jeremiah identifies the invader. Those verses say, I will give Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of their enemies, who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. Jeremiah is the only prophet on record to actually witness the final destruction of Jerusalem. The destruction of Jerusalem was basically the last act in wiping the Jewish nation off the world map. It didn't exist again as an independent nation until 1948. 
the parts of Israel that were repopulated and identified as a Jewish land over the next centuries after the Babylonian conquest were always under the rule of a larger power, Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. The Book of Lamentations is also credited to Jeremiah by ancient Jewish tradition. This is a book of grief. The prophet says in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11, My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the infants faint in the streets of the city. Babylon had, for a few years, been muscling in on Judah. There were actually two other smaller invasions before the last one that resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the rest of the country. King Zedekiah had been placed on the throne in 597 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon after he had removed King Jehoiakim. King Zedekiah later decided that he could declare Judah free of Babylon because Babylon had its hands full with an internal rebellion. Boy, was Zedekiah wrong. Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem in 588 B.C., and the siege of Jerusalem began. Most people say the siege lasted about two to two and a half years. Some Babylonian records indicate that it wasn't that long, but regardless of the exact time, it was enough so that the people in the city, surrounded by the Babylonian army, suffered beyond belief. The writer is, obviously, a survivor of the horror. He records a collection of songs or poems that describe how the people of Jerusalem suffered. Here's just a sampling of a few of the details from chapter 4 of the Book of Lamentations. 1. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. That's from verse 4. Referring to the nobles of the population from verse 7, verse 8 says this, Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become dry as wood. From starvation and dehydration, they were walking skeletons. Another point, people were starving literally. Verse 10 says this, The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. People literally, in some cases, went mad with hunger and cooked their children to eat. As awful as that is, it's not unique in history. It also happened in the northern kingdom when the Assyrians invaded there. And you can read about one example of this in the northern kingdom in 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 28 and 29. Invaders throughout history, especially in the ancient world, 
have known that the, one of the best ways to capture a walled city was simply to surround it and wait for the people to die of thirst, starvation, and disease. The siege of Jerusalem was an unimaginable horror for the people in the city. When the Babylonians finally broke through and destroyed the city, including the temple, they carried away everything of value and exiled many people to Babylon, especially the young, the physically fit, the aristocrats, the so-called best people. The poor and many of the elderly were pretty much left behind to tend crops and the vineyards. Jeremiah himself was spared because he had advised King Zedekiah to surrender to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. As terrible as this episode in Israel's history is, Jeremiah also assured the people that God would give them another chance. He explained that after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, many of the Jews would be allowed to return to Judah to repair the city of Jerusalem, to repair the temple, and also to resettle the land. You can find this in chapter 25 of Jeremiah. Even though Babylon was allowed by God to be the instrument of punishment for the Jewish people, God would also punish the Babylonians for their wickedness and cruelty to his chosen people. They, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah, would have the opportunity to repent and be regathered as a people in their native land. The Babylonian Empire was eventually conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. Measuring from 605 BC, when Babylon first invaded Judah and took captives, until the time when the Persians allowed the first small group of Jews to return to Judah, 70 years passed, perfectly in accord with prophecy. But also, if one measures time from the time that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C., until its rebuilding and rededication in 516 B.C., it, too, was 70 years. Jeremiah was allowed to stay in Judah after Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 B.C., but many Bible scholars believe that he was forced to flee to Egypt, along with some other Jews, about four years, maybe a little later. Why? because someone had assassinated the Babylonian governor that Nebuchadnezzar had placed over the area of Judah, and they feared that Nebuchadnezzar would retaliate, which he did. I believe the main lesson we get from Jeremiah is this. Rebellion against God, sin, sooner or later brings destruction. As much as God loves us, he is the very definition of love. We wouldn't even know what love is without him. He cannot and will not turn a blind eye to sin. We must be aware that we serve a loving God, but he's also a holy God, and he expects to have first place with his people. Please join me on my next podcast as we study more Truth Across Time.
I hope this podcast encourages you to develop a closer relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, I pray you will ask Him to be the Lord of your life today. God bless. See you next week.